0: May God's grace and peace be with you. Invite you to open your Bible, if you have it, to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. And that's where we'll find our sermon text for this evening. We have a rather lengthy Scripture reading this evening. It will take up the majority of... uh, of our time this evening but I want you to hear the story and I want you to hear God's word and so if you are willing and able please stand for the reading of God's holy word and we'll read this story and then jump in and I'll make a few comments about some things that we see in this beautiful story the word of God John 18 28 to nineteen sixteen. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the others saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The word of the Lord. Thanks, thanks be God. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word, and all the church says. Amen. may be seated. As many of you know, this has been an emotional week for my family and I, but not nearly as emotional a week as it was for Jesus in the story that we've been walking in for the last several weeks. John 13 was the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room, and it has taken John several chapters to bring us to this moment all that we've seen from John 13 until now has taken place at night one night and now we finally get to a part of the story when morning breaks the night is over and the day has dawned and after darkness there is light but in the light of day we see how terrible men can be We see that all of the strain and all of the emotion and all of the struggle of Jesus and his disciples is coming to a head. Last week we saw how Jesus underwent a mock trial among the Jews. And they found him guilty of blasphemy. And so they bring him to Pilate early in the morning. And so begins the trial of Jesus in the presence of Pilate. Now, the historical backstory of Pilate and his experiences with the Jews is well attested. You could read in Philo or Flavius Josephus all of the details of his reign and rule in Palestine. But since some of what happened there is relevant to this story, I want to take a moment to give you a little bit of the background and that will set us up for what happens in this trial. I want you to understand why Pilate acted the way he did. At least give you some insight into some of the reasons and motives for his actions. Pilate's name means armed with a javelin. He was named after the weapon of choice of his clan outside of Rome. He apparently was a capable military leader who became a fairly capable political leader as well. That's uh, the conclusion we draw because he served for 10 years in Palestine. But those 10 years were marked by conflict and controversy. By the time Jesus began his public ministry, Pilate had been serving as governor in Palestine for about four years. And in that four-year period, there had been uh, several serious clashes between Pilate and the Jewish leaders. I won't go into detail about all of them, but I want to mention one that occurred just a few months before the story that we just read. Several months before Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Passover, Pilate decided to bring in several golden shields with an inscription on the shields paying tribute to Caesar Tiberius. And he hung those shields in his headquarters. When the Jewish leaders heard about this action, they protested and they complained and they were triggered because they felt that this was an act of idolatry. There were no images on the shields. It was simply words of tribute to Caesar. And so they demanded that Pilate take those shields down and Pilate refused and he put up a front. And so they were clashing over this issue when suddenly... King Herod, king of the Jews, goes over Pilate's head, sends a formal protest to Caesar Tiberius. Caesar Tiberius receives the formal protest, and he is infuriated. He writes a threatening letter to Pilate. And he commands Pilate to do two things. On one hand, he commands him to take the golden shields out of his headquarters, move them out of Jerusalem, and put them in a different city. And he also commands Pilate to uphold and respect all the religious and political customs of his Jewish subjects. That letter arrives to Pilate about five months before Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And so as that controversy is still fresh on the minds of Pilate and the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders are working because they are working the angles, because they have a plan, they've plotted a way to get rid of Jesus. In this story, the Jewish leaders take Jesus, they arrest him, and they deliver him over to Pilate to be tried, judged, and sentenced, and they are confident that they will get the verdict they want because they know they've got Pilate over a barrel. And so for six hours, for six hours, Pilate tries Jesus And there are three phases of this trial that I want you to consider this evening. The first phase has to do with the accusation and defense. The second phase has to do with negotiating terms and perhaps even bargaining a plea. And then the third phase has to do with the verdict and the sentence. It's interesting in the story that the Jews who bring Jesus to the headquarters of Pilate stay outside the gates. They do not want to enter the courts or go into the headquarters of Pilate. John tells us it's because they did not want to be defiled. They did not want to become ceremonially unclean. There was the Passover to celebrate after all, and they wanted to make sure that they were ceremonially clean so they could go up to the temple later that day and offer sacrifices. They want to get this trial over with quickly, and they want a speedy trial. They want a quick trial because they've got a lot of things to do in this festive time. And so you see at the outset the hypocrisy of these people embodied in their actions. They want to be outwardly clean, and yet everything they've done up to this point indicates that they are inwardly dirty. They've already held a mock trial under cover of darkness and found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. They want a swift and speedy trial without a lot of fanfare because they know how popular Jesus is. It might be hard for us to remember, but go back several weeks and remember when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey. Remember the crowds came out, Jews and Gentiles alike, and they were singing his praises and declaring him to be even King of Israel. And John tells us that in the midst of all of that hustle and bustle, even many of the authorities believed in Jesus privately. And so the men here who have arrested Jesus and delivered him over are working behind the scenes, not wanting the public to know what's going on because they want to rid the earth of Jesus before word gets out. They don't want the news to break that morning. They want Pilate's decision to be made and then Jesus will be gone. And so that brings us to the phases of the trial. Phase one of the trial, accusation and defense. Pilate Accommodating the Jews If you wonder why Pilate goes out to the Jews And then goes back into the headquarters It's not because he is wishy-washy It's not because he's trying to buy time It's because he has strict orders from Caesar To respect and uphold the religious customs of the Jewish people And so instead of making them come into the headquarters where he is He goes out to them He is accommodating them this says something about his his uh, uh, political dexterity you might say so he goes out to them what's the charge and they say well here's the charge the charge is that this guy claims to be king now they knew if they had said to him he is a blasphemer That he claims to be son of God. If they said that right away, Pilate would say, I don't care about that. You guys work that out yourselves. But somehow Pilate learns that Jesus claims to be king. So he goes out, speaks with the Jews, gets information. There's a charge. He goes back to Jesus and says, are you in fact a king? Now, it's possible that Pilate learned that from the Jews. It's also possible that Pilate just thought back to, oh yeah, a few days ago, this is the guy that came in on the donkey and the crowds were going wild. Are you in fact the king that all these people say you are? That's why Jesus pushes back and says, is this your own idea or did someone else tell you this about me? Right? John makes a note here that Jesus knew, has been telling us throughout the story of John's gospel, how he was going to be delivered up, how he was going to die, and the fact that the Jews are saying here, hey, we we can't put anyone to death. See, they've already decided that Jesus deserves death. This is going to be premeditated murder on their part. They've already decided Jesus needs to die. They just need Pilate to sign off on it. John says this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show about what kind of death he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up So throughout John's gospel, that phrase lifted up comes up. Jesus had said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Later he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am Yahweh and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And then just a few days ago, in the context of the story, he told the parable of seed, a seed falling into the earth and dying, not abiding by itself alone, but rising up and bearing much fruit, showing by what kind of death he was going to die, he said that he would be lifted up. And so what Jesus had prophesied about himself, predicting his own death by crucifixion, is about to be realized and fulfilled in the works of the Jewish leaders and Pilate. Pilate and Jesus get into a discussion about kingship and kingdoms. And Jesus makes it very clear that his kingdom is not like the kingdom of, that Pilate serves. It's not like the Roman Empire. It's not even like the Jewish kingdom. It's a kingdom that comes from another time and another place. And this troubles Pilate a little bit. And while Jesus says that he's come to testify of the truth, this specific truth, that he is the king, and that he's come into the world to tell the world that he is the king of heaven and earth, Pilate, showing that he is not a man of the truth, resists, rejects the truth, and walks away and skeptically says, What is truth? It's a rhetorical question. He has no interest in really learning what the truth is at this point. But he brushes it off and goes back, and now we enter phase two of the trial. Phase two of the trial is, let's negotiate a settlement. Let's reach an agreement. Let's see if we can get a plea bargain. And the way that works is Pilate goes back out to the Jews and says, I find no guilt in him. There's no reason to charge him. I can't put him to death because he has not committed any crime that is worthy of death. And the Jews begin to push back and they begin to fight and they want Barabbas, not Jesus, to be released. So you see them negotiating and bartering over the life of Jesus. Scholars have pointed out an interesting fact about Barabbas. is We read it as one word, but in the, in the Aramaic and Hebrew mind they would have heard two words, Barabbas. A son of a father. And there's a play on words here that the Jews want a son of a father who happens to be a robber, an insurrectionist, a troublemaker. They want that son of a father to be released. But they want the son of the father, who is the life giver, to be executed. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, All who came before me were thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life. And in this very simple choice or decision that the Jews have made, they are in fact saying, we prefer death to life. And they want to put to death the one who could give them life. As a part of this negotiation and barter, Pilate takes Jesus and has him flogged and beaten. Under normal circumstances, this action was simply an act of torture. It was the kind of thing that guys like Pilate would use against their enemies when they were trying to extract Intelligence from them or if they were trying to get someone to confess to doing something wrong this was this had a way of tenderizing a person of breaking down their defenses and so after receiving this terrible beating people would usually say whatever needed to be say uh, needed to be said just to spare their life just to find a moment of relief But in this circumstance, it appears that Pilate has Jesus flogged for completely different reasons. He's not trying to get intelligence from Jesus or extract a confession from him. He's simply trying to play politics. He finds Jesus to be an innocent man not worthy of death. And not even Pilate can bring himself to declare that Jesus deserves to die. He can't convince the Jews to release Jesus. They want Barabbas. And so what does Pilate do? He says, look, let's compromise here. I don't want to crucify him, but he's been flogged nearly to death. Isn't that enough for you guys? And he has him dressed in a purple robe and a crown of thorns on his head, and he becomes a mockery. He claimed Jesus apparently claimed to be a king. The crowd thought he was a king. Pilate brings him out to show that this is the threat. This is what you guys were afraid of. This guy that we've beaten to a pulp, you're worried that he is going to be the king and lead a rebellion? You can't possibly be afraid of this guy. And so many scholars will say that Pilate is playing to the sympathies of the crowd. He wants the crowd to see what the power of Rome can do against anyone who opposes Rome and he wants the crowd to have mercy and yet the crowd has no mercy the religious leaders have no mercy and they repeatedly cry out crucify him, crucify him crucify him Pilate's trying to keep his hands clean he does not want to be involved in this he does not want to be the one to issue that declaration so he says to the Jews you go crucify him And they remind him again that they are not authorized by the Roman government to do that. There's a lot of dispute over that in the literature. Some people are saying that the Jews were just trying to keep their hands clean as well, but they definitely wanted Jesus uh, executed. We can find in other places how they remember throughout the gospel they picked up stones to stone Jesus. They weren't afraid of killing him then. And later on, we'll find that they pick up stones and stone followers of Jesus. So they found a way to, to, to exercise their rights or to execute their law when they wanted to. But here, they're trying to say, hey, we can't do it. They appeal to their own law and they say, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself to be the son of God. And now they play their blasphemy card. They've hooked Pilate on the whole discussion of Jesus being king. That's gotten his attention. But now they bring out that he claims to be son of God. The interesting thing about the Jews is this. They appeal to the law when they feel like it, when it suits them, when it buttresses their case. But it was that same law and the same prophets that they're appealing to who indicate that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And yet they miss that. Now, did you notice in the story that when Pilate heard that Jesus was the Son of God or that he claimed to be the Son of God, he was even more afraid? Did you see that? That's John's way of saying he was already afraid, but now he's more afraid. He was afraid of Caesar Tiberius because he'd received that threatening letter. He's afraid because he knows that the Jews have him between a rock and a hard place. He is over the barrel. He knows that he has no way out of this. He's afraid of what is about to happen. And now he's afraid because there's a man standing in front of him who not only claims to be a king from another world, but he claims to be the Son of God. Pilate is shaking in his sandals. He has no way out. He was afraid before. He's more afraid now. So he goes to Jesus and he wants to know, where'd you come from? I mean, what's going on? He keeps asking questions. But he's not getting answers that satisfy him. In fact, Jesus puts Pilate on trial. Pilate is on trial. Pilate is trying to flex his muscle. He's trying to say, look, don't you know I have authority over you? I can... Release you, or I can crucify you. I have that kind of power. And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. One of the things I want you to see in this story, it's so easy to get caught up in what the Jewish leaders were thinking or to get caught up in what Pilate was thinking. One of the things I want you to see in this story is I want you to see how Fearless and faithful Jesus is. If you go back through the story this week, just reflect on who Jesus is and what He's doing in this story, I think you're going to be moved to see how fearless He was in the face of death, in the face of His enemies. He didn't flinch. He didn't back down. He didn't blink. He's all alone in this moment. His disciples are gone. They're not on... The page They're not on sight. They are gone. And he's by himself in this moment and yet he is fearlessly standing down the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders. And he is faithfully entering into the fray of his own death because he trusts and obeys his Father. This is the kind of thing we need to see in Jesus our Savior, in Jesus the King. Too many times in in the artwork, too many times in our literature, too many times in our imagination. We see Jesus as this man who is timid and trembling and meek and and trying to hold it all together and just to get through the moment. And that is not the way John portrays him. John depicts Jesus as the most valiant and brave and courageous man perhaps we've ever seen. This is no Hollywood story. This is God-man in the flesh knowing where he came from, why he's here, where he's going, what he needs to do. And this is the kind of thing that gives us courage as well. Life can be very scary and very difficult, and yet here we find comfort and courage just by gazing upon the glory of Jesus Christ. Here we see a man with the whole world turned against him, all alone, by himself, and yet he is a man that is full of courage, full of conviction as he stands before the world. Why? Because he is with God and God is with him and he trusts and obeys God. We can find comfort and courage in that as well as we seek to imitate Christ in these matters. Now, before phase two of this trial ends, notice that Pilate is looking for a way to release Jesus. He just can't find a, a, find a way to do it, but he's working hard at it. The clock is ticking. The morning is passing by. It's, it's getting closer to noon, but not quite to noon yet. He's on the horns of a dilemma. He does not... I want to say this in Pilate's defense... He does not want to execute an innocent man. At this point, he does not want to execute an innocent man, especially a man as popular as Jesus. But on the other hand, he does not want the Jewish leaders to send another formal protest to Tiberius. So what is he going to do? They played their card. The Jews played their card against him. You are no friend of Caesar. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. And Pilate knew exactly what that meant. He knew what it entailed and what the political consequences would be. Paul Meyer in his book, In the Fullness of Time, describes it this way. It's as if they were saying, If you set this man free, we will send a delegation to Tiberius Caesar accusing you of condoning treason in one who would set himself up as a subversive counter-king to Rome and also of failure to uphold our religious law. Do you recall Tiberius' threatening letter to you five months ago? If he supported us then in the case of the golden Shields, he'll surely support us now in a far more serious matter. You, Pilate, will lose your membership in the Friends of Caesar Club. Your golden membership ring with Tiberius's image will be pulled from your finger. You will make your exit via the usual means for disgraced members: meaning exile or compulsory suicide. Pilate does not want to be accused of not being a friend of Caesar. And so he does what in our minds is the unthinkable. Phase three of the trial, verdict and sentence. Pilate hears these words, he brings Jesus out. He sits down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement. And once he sits upon that seat and once he issues his verdict, that's it. There is no reversing the decision. John tells us it's about the sixth hour, meaning it's around noon. The last time John mentioned anything about the sixth hour, Jesus was sitting at a well speaking with a woman about living water. Fast forward a couple of years and now Jesus is standing next to a man who is seated on a throne at the stone pavement about to issue a judgment on his life Pilate can barely bring himself to do this behold your king shall I crucify your king even from his judgment seat he's looking for a way out and the people say the people lie and say We have no king but Caesar. These are a people who have in their confession of faith a statement that God is the king and Lord of the universe. These are a people who have across town a king named Herod Antipas. These are a people who are looking forward to the Christ And they say, we have no king but Caesar. They are playing politics with the life of Jesus, saying whatever it takes to get the desired result, which is his crucifixion. And it's at this moment that Pilate caves in, and he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. The word deliver is prominent in this story. Deliver means to hand over. The Jews hand Jesus over to Pilate. Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified. We heard in our scripture reading before the sermon from Isaiah that the prophets speaking by the Spirit of Christ indicated that the Christ, the Savior, the servant of the Lord would be handed over, delivered over for our trespasses and sins. And so when we read a story like this, it's easy to think, oh, look at all of these historical circumstances, and look what the Jews did, or what the Romans did, or look what the disciples did, and we get caught up in this closed universe. But I want you to remember that all of this is unfolding according to God's purpose and foreknowledge. All of this is unfolding according to the will and desire of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason Jesus is in the mix, mix of this, in the, in the midst of all of these things, is because He is playing His role as the Savior of the world. He is willing to be delivered over by the Jews and by the Romans so that He might be delivered up as the sacrifice for our sins, as the Savior of the world. As we reflect on this over the next couple of weeks, I want to discourage you from sinking into despair and thinking of this story. Please do not think of it as a mere tragedy. While there are tragic aspects to it, I want you to think of it also as the the beauty and majesty of the gospel unfolding before us. These things did not happen by accident. They were not chance or circumstance. These things happened by the will and purpose of God for your salvation for your redemption in the blood of Christ. And I hope you find courage and take comfort in, the, in knowing that your Savior steered into this storm, that He stepped into it willingly, obediently, for you.